This is a State Library of Queensland podcast. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are advised that this podcast contains the names of people who have passed away. How often do you find yourself juggling all the things you've got going on in your life? From doing chores, fitting in your social life around sport, hobbies, work, or a million other things that you have to fit into your day, your week, your year. For Eddie, fitting everything in became a little more complicated when he decided that his love for education needed to be pursued. He had this passion to learn, to learn and and a constant urge to learn more. But it was something Eddie was very used to after being forced to leave school at around grade five due to the policies at the time which dictated the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, including how long they could go to school for. You know, he had to work the land and work with his family to earn money. His love of learning saw him become an assistant to the school teacher, which in turn led to him learning English, because at the time he only spoke Meriamir, the traditional language of the eastern islands of the Torres Strait. And once Eddie had kids of his own, his passion for education grew even more. He knew that with his own children, he wanted us to have a better education than he did. And so he pushed for us to complete school. Eddie may have been adamant that his kids went to school to get an education, but at the same time, he was very critical of the education system they were forced to learn under because the Queensland system was actually teaching things within the education system that he didn't agree to. He didn't like that history, the Australian history, was tarnished due to the influence of the colonisation factor that overpowered the Indigenous voice within the history not to come through. Gail says her dad's grievances with the Queensland education system motivated him to teach his own kids about their Meriam culture. And to to understand your own culture gives you a better base to stand on. So when you have a really good base to stand on, that means you can take on all challenges without being hesitant. And that's what he wanted us to do. Because one of the things is through that he had found is through the white education system is that black children were falling through the cracks and they didn't care. Whereas my father cared that his children, he wanted us to walk and be proud and to go on to further learning and not fall through the crack. But it wasn't enough for his own kids to learn the stories, the customs, the music, the language and the dances. Eddie knew that if his culture was going to survive the coming generations, it was imperative to teach as many Torres Strait Islanders as possible on the mainland. And so with that, he started his own school. With that school, he instilled the most powerful thing he could do, which was cultural pride. So... In 1973, Eddie and his wife Benita co-founded the Townsville Black Community School, one of the first of its kind in Australia. Hi, I'm Eddie, 
is a six-part series from the State Library of Queensland which explores how a man from a remote island in the Torres Strait helped dismantle a 200-year-old law which claimed that, prior to European settlement, Australia was terra nullius, nobody's land, uninhabited. It's been 30 years since the landmark case changed not only Australian law, but also profoundly changed how the history of this country is taught, written and critically thought about. Eddie Koiki Mabo, along with his co-plaintiffs Vermeer, Reverend Dave Passy, Sam Passy, James Rice and Selua Marpo Sali, forever altered Australia. I'm Rihanna Patrick, a Torres Strait Islander journalist, and I was 15 when the judgment was handed down. In episode three, you'll meet the other sides of Eddie. Principal Eddie, bus driver Eddie, teacher Eddie, JCU gardener Eddie, and dad Eddie. Eddie wasn't just fighting for his island, but also fighting for a different way of life. He was fighting against the systems which didn't provide the strong foundation of cultural knowledge that he wanted his children on the mainland to learn. Now, where was I up to? Oh yeah, I was telling you about all the different sides of Eddie. Now let's get back to the founding of the Townsville Black Community School, BCS as students would call it, that Eddie started. So Eddie starts his school, which teaches mainstream subjects and Meriam culture. And being culturally strong meant that the future of his of his people would still be passed down to us in a manner that if we were living on an island would be the same. And empowering us to know who we are as individuals, to be be empowered and and you know, be strong within ourselves. So that's how Dad looked at education and looked at how learning culture first changed and shaped us into the people we are. Noel Zaro, who you met back in Episode 1, was one of the first students to go to the Townsville Black Community School. He says that while a typical day would consist of mainstream lessons in the morning, it was after lunch when the real learning began. Those uh, Vegemite sandwiches there, Auntie Nita used to make up there. Everyone loved that. For the first half of the day, we do mostly uh, mainstream curriculum. And then in the afternoons, we do uh, traditional language. They had a big chart up there with body parts and they had the language names there. So we got to learn learn that. We got to learn how to count in Miriam. And also the island dancing, traditional dance we were taught. And that's where I first learned to dance was there, BCS, Black uh, Community School. Noel remembers what it was like moving from the islands to the mainland and what a strange experience it was. It might not seem like it these days, but back then, it must have been hard to leave everything you know behind to move hundreds, sometimes thousands of kilometres away in search of a better life. Imagine what it would have been like for those first families who moved, when they were the only islander family in their street, maybe the only islander in their job, and in a place where you go from looking like everyone else to no one who looks like you at all. I can only imagine how different the mainland would have sounded coming from the islands. The sound of waves lapping on the shore, replaced by the constant hum of the traffic. What it must have been like seeing a train for the first time when you were building the track that it would travel on. 
No longer living metres from the sea and unable to see the stars because of all the streetlights breaking up the night sky with their amber glow. Seeing a homeless person for the first time because in the culture where you come from, this concept doesn't exist. All this change was at a time when the White Australia policy was in full effect, and like Aboriginal people, Torres Strait Islanders were under an act which regulated their lives, including where they lived, the work they did, and even needing permission to marry. Back in the 1970s and 1960s, that's when a big influx of um, Torres Strait Islanders come to the mainland Australia, and um, Townsville was the main hub, and it still today is the main hub. Torres Strait Islanders had been lured to the mainland in search of work after World War II, and more so when the pearling industry collapsed. The bigger wave of migration, which followed in the 50s and 60s, saw islanders working in large numbers, cutting cane and building railways. For my dad, for my parents, or for all my parents, it was a cultural change, as I said before, where they had to change their lifestyle to the Western style, to the um, influence of the white fellas sort of thing here on the mainstream Australia. So um, once they got used to that, they were able to, to purchase their own vehicles. Um, they were able to purchase their house, buy their house, or rent a house or move towns to another town. Once they've become used to that culture, um, to the way of life here on the mainland, they sort of adapted to it and that sort of helped them, well, helped us, future generations, to um, being raised here on the mainland. At BCS, the Black Community School, Noel felt at home. What I really loved about it is that we spoke Creole. Even though the curriculum there is English, we learned English, we learned maths, uh, social studies, stuff like that. We learned stuff here, here like uh, like a normal school does. But part of the curriculum was um, um, we learned language, our own language, which was the Mevyam Mir, learning mainstream curriculum here on the mainland. So that's a good thing about Black Community School is the um, teaching of your culture as well. Eddie was optimistic, but he wasn't naive. He knew that what he was doing with his school wasn't going to be an easy task. Eddie was looking to disrupt the education system and not everyone, even his fellow islanders, would understand his vision right away. In a lecture he gave at James Cook University, Eddie tells his audience that he realises that his people can be slow to grasp the idea because of the influence of the last 200-odd years. He says that we've been inclined to think that only the white man is the only one that can give us that kind of education. He goes on to tell them that he believes the time has come for mums and dads to see something different that it's up to minority groups to be able to make themselves strong enough to be able to continue. He finishes by telling them that the only way education can be fixed is by starting their own system, like he's done with the Black Community School. Noel remembers how BCS was unlike any other schools he'd attended. The family involvement of BCS, there was always family involvement, especially travelling away. Other schools would get us to go and perform um, traditional dances at their schools because there was nothing like that in those days anywhere in Townsville. So we were able to go and promote our culture at other schools, other venues. Um, as children, you know, we were all kids and we formed traditional dances all, not only in Townsville but other towns as well. Noel says that families were an important part of school life 
and they'd travel with the school's Torres Strait Islander dance group to wherever they had to perform. Uncle Koike used to drive the bus all the time, so we'd, um, he was the main driver, so we drove up there. Other families drove in their cars and um, they helped they helped along as well, the other families. They would come along and help um, help to sing, help sing while the kids danced to perform the dances. Yeah, that's one of the good memories. Even after Noel left the Black Community School to go on to high school, learning those Meriam dances stayed with him. Oh, that played a big part in it. In, in my life, Black Community School played a big part because it first taught me the Mariam culture, the Meriam um, cub, the Mariam dances as well. And bringing up in that, most of us who went to Black Community School end up going to the same high school. And we end up Mariam dancing at, at our high school concerts as um, high school students. And um, Uncle Quirky was involved also with, with us. So he followed us through our high school period as well, as well as our primary school period. And that was through high school. And now that I'm uh, older now, I look back and I, um, and I see that um, today. While the students knew what their school day would look like, many had no idea what Eddie's workday consisted of outside of the hours he spent teaching at the school. A normal day for Eddie Marbo consisted of being the bus driver for Black Community School, and that was a big job within itself. Then when he came back to the school, he was then the groundsman, the principal, the cultural teacher, in the afternoon again, take on the role as a bus driver again to drop everybody home. Once the day was finished and Dad had done all the runs all over the place that he needed to, he then went on to getting us home. My job was to wash out the bus, go inside. He'd have something to eat, change from his school clothes, so his high socks, short shorts, and shirt, to his long grey gardening pants with his gardening shirts. Had a JCU logo on the, on the pocket. And then he'd go out and do his real job, which he got paid for, out at James Cook University as a groundsman. So just before he went out the door, he always asked, you know, you guys going to come out and help me out at, at a JCU today? I put my hand up, yeah, I'm coming, I'm coming. So I'd quickly go and change it out of my uniform, put some old clothes on, just go and help. To be out in the cool, walking around the big grounds of James Cook University and helping my dad clean the grounds. It was one way of me to, to help my dad so he didn't finish late, that he could get home and have a rest. That would be just part of my dad's normal day, was to do all of that to maintain that the school ran really well. Despite all of Eddie's hard work and good-hearted intentions, the Black Community School was treated with blatant hostility by many non-Indigenous people in Townsville, local politicians, the local newspaper and the Queensland Education Department refused to recognise the school. Still, despite all the animosity chucked at it, Eddie and his team persisted. And Noel for one is grateful that he did. Noel continues to dance with his wife, started his own dance group and earned an Order of Australia for his work in promoting Torres Strait Islander culture. Wherever he goes, Noel carries with him the cultural education he got at BCS. But the main thing behind all that is my upbringing. Through, through Black Community School, through high school, we, we danced at high school concerts. Um, and also afterwards, as a young man uh, working uh, an apprenticeship in Townsville, I still kept on dancing with um, the other clubs, um, the other Maryland club in uh, Townsville. They're known as uh, uh, C7, a dance group. 
and um, I danced with them in my younger days. And so I kept the I kept the culture strong. Um, not only me, but I was taught by by those who kept the culture really strong and passed it down from all of my uncles and aunts, and granddads and grandmothers, extended families. Yeah, the main reason is from my upbringing and involvement of Uncle Koiki, uh, my big brother Pesalakoilu, and not only them two, but uh, my other elders who taught me dances when I was a young man in Townsville. They played a big part, big role in my life because uh, they were the main father figures to me as my father died when I was young. But did Noel ever realise just what Eddie was doing outside of school hours? No, I didn't even know that. Yeah, unreal. Even even Gail and them never told me. Mal never told me. Yeah, jeez, that's unreal. A very strong man. It's interesting to note that in that guest lecture for James Cook University, Eddie mentioned how at one stage the school on Mer was considered the best in the state. During his lecture, he was asked what the future of schools in the Torres Strait was if his land claim was successful. He tells the student that if he wins, he'd tell the education department to pack their things and go, that he'd establish an independent school which would be run by parents and not people from Brisbane, and that he'd, and I quote, teach things that some people would never dream of. A year after he launched the Black Community School in Townsville, Eddie would have that life-changing conversation. A conversation which would light a fire in his belly that would ultimately lead him to launch something else entirely. For Eddie, after learning from the two university historians that his land wasn't actually his under Queensland law, it must have felt like the wind had been taken out of his sails. It was only a couple of years before that Eddie's family, his wife Benita and his kids, tried to visit his father back on Mer, but were denied entry. That's right, they were told they couldn't set foot on the island he grew up on. Coming up on episode four of Hi, I'm Eddie. You know, at that time, ATSIC had just been established and all around the country there was representation feeding up from local uh, mobs all the way up to a national uh, body called ATSIC. There was funding there. There was a real sense of self-determination moving forward. And I think it was actually those international and domestic things that were happening in Australia, which actually did feed into the judgment. Eddie and his co-plaintiffs start a fight that would last 10 years, one that he wouldn't see to the end. Hi, I'm Eddie, was commissioned by the State Library of Queensland. It was co-produced by Wendy Love and me, Rihanna Patrick. If you'd like to learn more, check out the links in the show notes on the episode description on whatever podcasting app you're listening on. <laughs>